Turn, please, to 1 John in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, you have this in your uh, bulletins as well, but I trust that uh, we're getting back in the habit of bringing our Bibles or whatever it is that we use to read from uh, to uh, church so we can follow along in various ways. So I would encourage you to uh, open your scripture. I'm smiling because I have I've, I've an old mentor's line going through my head, an old pastor that I knew who, when I knew him, was younger than I am now, but was old to me. And uh, sometimes he would say, after the church would sing, he would say, you know, that's just some kind of good. He was a southerner. He said it better, but it's been some kind of good to sing this morning. As we come to 1 John chapter 2, let's pray. Father, again, we pray because we're constantly praying, because we're constantly needy. We never stop needing you. Uh, Thus, we never stop acknowledging our need. So we pray, and here we pray for this particular need now that you would enable us to listen, to listen to your voice, a powerful voice, a voice that can change us, a voice that when when speaks, creates, brings light. So we pray that you would bring light by your spirit now upon us in this word that no one would leave this place without knowing they believe in Jesus and have eternal life. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. First uh, John chapter two, verse 18, please. <clears throat> I'll read it to the end of the chapter. I won't get to all of it today, but I want you to see it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, this is the word of the Lord. Children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the, the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. And together we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Next week I'll get to this 
idea of anointing and knowing. But this week I want to get at the very heart of the faith. I want to get at the very core of Christianity. Something we mustn't miss. It, it isn't really an irreducible minimum because there's nothing minimal about it because what I want to talk this morning about and solidify is that which concerns our Lord Jesus. Now, the letters of the New Testament are often called occasional letters. It doesn't mean that they were written occasionally. They were, but it, it means that they were uh, generally written because of a particular occasion that was taking place in the life of various churches. And that's true, certainly, for John. What we see here is the occasion for his letter. There are those who had been in the church, but who had left the church. Now, we don't know if they were asked to leave the church, if they were disciplined and thus left the church, or if they just realized that what they believed about Jesus was different than what the church was believing about Jesus, and they left to start their own. But we don't, we don't know. And, and it's oftentimes raised, well, John says that, 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 that they weren't of us, and if they had been of us, then they would have remained with us. Now, does that mean that they were once of the church, once were Christians, and now aren't? Or does this mean, well, what does it mean? And John doesn't say exactly. We know from the scriptural teaching, the biblical teaching about our faith, that what John is trying to convey here is that if they had been really of us, if they had really been believers in Jesus from the start, they would have stayed with us. If their belief had gotten off track, they would have repented and stayed, but, but, but it didn't. They didn't repent. They didn't stay. Thus, they were never really of us. At least that's my take on this, on this passage. But John uses very strong language here, and language we mustn't, must admit. Their teaching wasn't from the beginning of Christianity, of the faith. Verse 24, he says, he says to them, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. You've heard something from the beginning. May that stay with you. What their teaching isn't what was from uh, the beginning. And he calls what they believe a lie. In fact, he calls it the lie, for it is the lie that underlies all the other lies. And they're liars. You get the sense, and the scripture always speaks of this to us, that we really do know it. We just suppress the truth. Remember what Paul writes in Romans chapter one, that, that people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We really do know, but we really won't believe. That's the sin in us. And that the truth then is suppressed in us. That's why he can say, no, you're, you're lying. You're lying what you're saying. They're liars. It is the lie. And, and, and they're propagating that lie, and, and they really don't then know the Father. They, they said they have fellowship with him, but they don't have fellowship with him because they don't believe that which is true, that which is right about Jesus. Notice how he puts it in verse 23. We'll come to this in a minute. He says, no one who denies the Father has, uh, I'm sorry, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Uh, you, you can't deny Jesus and say you have fellowship with God. It's impossible. It's impossible, you see. They don't have eternal life, verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us. 
eternal life. And so John writes to those who have stayed behind um, because the big question is, are those who left right? It doesn't sound quite right, does it? But you, you get the point. Who, who's right here, the ones who left or the ones who stayed? And John's saying, you who stayed, you have the truth. Those who left were never really uh, of us. And so he writes to them, as we remember from chapter 5 and verse 13, uh, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what he's after here. That's what he's, he's writing here. Um, and, and he's given them some other tests. And he says, well, we can tell that we believe in Jesus, that we have eternal life by the way that we live if we have this desire to obey and we, if we obey and we have this desire to love as Jesus loved, to love one another as he's loved us. All that's true. But this is the heart of it because if this isn't true, then the others aren't either. In other words, our obedience to God and our love for each other flow from what we believe to be true about Jesus. It isn't just that we can have a predisposition as some seem to have uh, to be uh, nicer than others or more obedient than others or kinder than others or whatever that is. That's, that's not what it is. It, it, it's that you believe in Jesus and therefore flowing out of you are these rivers of life and these rivers of life are obedience to God and love uh, for others. And so this is at the core of it. Um, this is at the core of it. Now, if we could just bring this into a present context. Today, in the history of the church, is called All Saints Day. Um, it's the day that we celebrate our unity. It's the day that we celebrate, in, in essence, those who have gone before us and persevered in the faith, who remained of us, you see. And not only that, since it's All Saints Day, we remember that yesterday was Reformation Day. And on that day in... 1517, Martin Luther uh, posted his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church, and it wasn't that he was disrespecting property by nailing all this up there. Uh, that was kind of like the church bulletin board, uh, and, uh, and there it was. And the essence of Luther's complaint, if you will, what, what really spurred him on was was the, the presenting issue was the sale of indulgences, which was in a sense buying forgiveness and therefore besmirching, wonderful word, even if you don't know what it means, you know what it means just by listening to it. Besmirching Christ and his atoning sacrifice by saying it wasn't enough. That's exactly the problem that's taking place in this church amongst those who have left. They're questioning the sufficiency of Christ and his atoning work by denying who he is, by denying that he's the Christ, by denying that he's from God in the flesh, God with us. And then might I also uh, state the obvious, that we're on the verge of an election coming up. And I dare say, we may not be all of one mind. Some of us may vote for certain candidates and others vote for other. Boy, it got really quiet in here. <laughs> this isn't a surprise to you, is it? Okay, good, good, good. And some may vote for other candidates. 
Some of us may be right and some of us may be wrong. And I suspect there are consequences to all of this for our lives. But we dare not be wrong about Jesus. We dare not be wrong about him. So that's what this is about today. Now, now when John eases us into this, he's just very distracting for 21st century evangelical Christians because he uses two expressions that just sort of mess with our minds. He talks about being the last hour, and he says antichrist. And so we, we're all of a sudden, our minds are, are, just, are just moving there, right? Now, when he talks about the last hour, it's fascinating that he says he's in the last hour. Now, you can say if he's in the last hour, we're in the last seconds. I, I don't know that he actually wants to say that. He's just pinpointing what other New Testament writers say about the, the, the end times, the last days. They began, if you will, with the first advent of Jesus and his coming and his dying and his rising and his ascending. And they'll end these last days, this last hour, with Jesus' return. And we get all fuddled about that, and we all think, well, when's it going to really happen? Which is crazy, because if you think you know, it can't be then. So stop thinking about it. Because I want him to come, and I want him to say, well, I was going to come on Tuesday, but Bill thought I was going to come on Tuesday, so I can't come on Tuesday. Or I didn't mean Tuesday by election. That was not a political statement. (laughs) Tuesday's just the day I always pick when I say that. Okay, I've been saying Tuesdays for years. Now, oh, that would be nice. Anyway, uh, but Jesus said we won't know the day or the hour, but, but we're, we're tweaked by that. But, but, but John is just agreeing with the other New Testament writers. Remember, in the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes Joel, and he says, Joel said that in the last days, this was going to happen, and here it's happening. And so we're now, you see, in these, in these, last, in these last days. Um, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3. He puts it like this. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I'm glad that's not now. But then... Paul plays his hand, and he says, avoid such people. (laughs) In other words, Timothy, this is happening now, Timothy, in your life. So avoid such people. So so the last days, uh, Jude writes like this in verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ they said to you, in the last time there'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, in building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. 
So, so you see, John's just saying, I know it's the last days because Jesus has come and ascended and I know that he hasn't returned. And I also know that it's the last days because antichrists are here. Now they seem to have some teaching about the antichrist. Notice how he puts it in verse 18. He says, children, this is, it is the last hour as you've heard that antichrist is coming. So you've heard that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists has, have come. Um, And so what's present in John's day isn't the Antichrist, if you will, but the spirit of the Antichrist. So he's about to show them what that spirit is, that what will ultimately characterize this one who is known as Antichrist. Now it's fascinating that uh, as, as familiar as we are to that word, the word antichrist is only used five times in the New Testament, four times in 1 John, this little epistle, and one time in 2 John, a smaller epistle. Never does it appear anywhere else, and it doesn't appear, antichrist the name anyway, in the book of Revelation, which we always sort of associated with. Now, you get a sense of, who, of, of the presence of this antichrist, if you will. Um, uh, Jesus speaks of in the last days false prophets coming. Paul talks in 2 Thessalonians chapter two of the man of lawlessness who will set himself up as God, if you will. John does talk in the Revelation about the beasts who will come of the sea and the land. And so they had teaching about Antichrist, but, but what John wants to tell them now is before all of that, need to realize that that very spirit is even among us. So the question is, what is that? What characterizes Antichrist? See, the whole of this revolves around doctrine. The whole of this now revolves around this point of who is our Lord Jesus. Notice verse 21. John writes, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What you heard from the beginning abides in you, and then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. You see, those who left were denying uh, that Jesus is the Christ. Flip over to chapter four and verse two, another description of this. It says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You see, they they denied that Jesus is the Christ. Now to a Jewish mind, to hear Christ, to translate that literally means simply the anointed one. 
He's the one who's anointed. And, and in, in, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, those who were anointed were prophets, priests, and kings. And so the anointed one, the Christ, would be the one who would come, would be the prophet. In the line of the prophets, but not like the rest of them because he would be perfect and perfectly reliable. He would speak the truth. Everything about him would be true concerning God. He would be the prophet. And so you'd, you'd listen to him, you see. And he'd be the priest in the line of priests, but, but the priest. And priests would represent people to God. The prophet represented God to the people, but, but priests would represent the people to God. And, and, and they would know of their human priest, but, but this priest would be the priest, and he would be the perfect representative of, of, of people, of God's people, to him. And he would be the deliverer of the perfect sacrifice so that people would be reconciled to God. And kings were, 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 were anointed, and there were kings, and this king would come in the line of King David, but, but, but still he would be different because he would be the king and he would be the one who rules and reigns over everything for his people, most critically that he would reign in such a way that he would be the one who had conquered sin and death. So to deny that Jesus is that one means you will not have eternal life. You'll only know eternal death and punishment. And then notice how he put it in chapter four as I had you turn a moment ago that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Um, that he's divine, yes, but human. He's one of us. Now, there's been debate throughout history about the person of Christ. Even in the context of church life, there's been debates, especially in the early centuries, of who is this Jesus and how do we understand divinity and humanity together. And ultimately, it was, it was settled and settled, but finally written down in the mid-fifth century, but, 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 but settled way before then because every time the discussion came up, it was always brought to a good place. But he's one person, two natures. One person, not two separate human and divine, but Jesus, one person, and two natures, human and, and divine. And you see, to save us, he must be, both for us to be saved, he must be, be both. He must be human, you see. And to deny the humanity of Jesus is just to simply miss what the scripture says about him. John knew it was absurd to deny the humanity of Jesus because how did he put it in the very beginning? He said that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He had a body, he was real, he was, he was human. He was like us, if you will. And, and, and he saw the humanity of Jesus he saw him tire as a man tires. He saw him be, uh, hunger as a man hungers. He saw him be tempted as a man is tempted. He saw him anguish as a man anguishes. He saw a man suffer as a, as a man suffers. He, he saw uh, a man die as men die. He knew him to be human, but he also knew that he was divine. He, he, he saw him, he, he knew of, of his birth, the conception of, by the Holy Spirit of this virgin. 
And he saw that worked out in not only his humanity, but also his divinity, his divine nature, if you will. I mean, he, he saw Jesus heal. He saw him cast out demons. He saw him raise the dead. He saw him receive worship. He, he heard what he said about himself, yes, the son of God and the son of man, which had great deep meaning from Daniel uh, concerning this one who was sovereign and the Lord of all. He knew what Jesus had said about himself, these absurdities, if he wasn't really, really God when he called himself, and he says, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the light of the world, and I'm the door, and I'm the good shepherd, and I'm the resurrection, and the life, and I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm the true vine. All of those things absurd for just a man to say, how can anybody say that other than the one who was, who was God? And, and, and he forgave sins. He knew. He'd even heard the father say this is my son in whom I'm well pleased listen to him he knew it this is Jesus now he needed to be human because we had sinned human beings could only pay for the sins of human beings if you will a human being for a human being uh, to pay for sins animals couldn't do it now uh, God took them as substitutes before the coming of Jesus only because he knew Jesus was coming and Jesus would pay for all the sins of his, of his people. Yeah, the author of Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews in chapter two in verse, I'll tell you when I get there. 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's of Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the servants of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, Jesus, like us, became our perfect high priest, merciful high priest, the one who would represent us perfectly to God, merciful because he knew us, as he would be merciful to us, as he plead our case, and then he became the propitiation for our sin. He became the sacrifice for our sin. If a man had to die for the sins of men, who could do it? If a man had to die for the sins of men and women, who, who, could, who could really do it? Because you see, if a human being, as we know human beings, came and, 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 and lived, they would be sinful and, and, and they'd have to pay for their own sins and, and, and that would never get paid for because that's an eternal payment. It goes on forever. So who among us could really stand for us? You see, we can't save ourselves, so God says, I will save you. That's been my promise all along. I will save you. And the only way he could save us was becoming like us. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that he, as us, could pay for our sins and live. How did we sing it just a minute ago? Upon a life 
I have not lived upon a death. I did not die. Another's life, another's death. I stake my whole eternity. Yes, we do. His life for us, his death for us. We're joined together with him. What's true of him, true of us. So if I could just tweak my dear brother Horatius Bonar some centuries ago, you know that because people don't name their kids Horatius anymore. So you know that. It's an old one. But because we're united to Christ, I died when he died. That it is paid, and I live as he lived from him. And you see, that's it. Now notice this, and I'll be quick here, but notice this in verse 23. It says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. In other words, if you deny Jesus, you deny the Father. You deny relationship with God. You deny reconciliation with God. You, you deny God, if you will, if you deny Jesus. And why is that? Well, because the Father sent the Son. So to deny the Son is to deny the one who sent him, you see. And we come to know the Father through the Son. Uh, we read in our call to worship, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Uh, Jesus said, and this is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, no one knows uh, the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son reveals him. You remember what Jesus said on the night when he was betrayed? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we realize that it's only through Jesus that we come to the Father. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm, I'm the life, I'm, I'm the priest and sacrifice, I'm the way. I'm the truth, I'm the prophet, and I'm the life, I'm the king who's conquered sin and death. No one comes to the Father, he says, except through me. To deny the Son is to deny the Father who sent him, to deny this, the, the son is to deny the revelation of who the father is. To deny Jesus is to deny that there's reconciliation between us and the father. You might say, you know, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds so exclusive to say it like that. It, it sounds like you're saying Jesus is the, is the only way, and, and I am only because that's what Jesus said, only because that's what the scripture says. I didn't come up with it, none of us did. It isn't arrogant for us to say that. We're just simply saying what, what God says. And, and someone says, that's your truth. It isn't, it's God's truth. It really is, it's his truth. Truth comes from him to us. And then when people say, well, it's so exclusive, I say, well, how, 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 how could it be? And they say, well, all you have to do is be a good person. God accepts you, just be a good person. And I say, well, that excludes me, right? Oh, because what standards is The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? I failed at that. I failed at that. Love your neighbor as yourself? I don't think I've ever done that, really. I mean, really. So I'm excluded 
from the good person standard. See, the moralist has no hope for a moral failure like me. But Jesus does, you see. And so when we deny who Jesus is, then we deny God and we have no part with him. But if we believe, if we receive Jesus, then we're united to the Father and we know that we know him. So here it is. Who is he? He said, on the night that I was betrayed, I took bread and after giving thanks, I broke it and I gave it to my disciples and I said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and again after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. The apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. We're declaring that he came, sent from God to reveal God, to be our prophet, to be our priest, to be our king, to conquer sin and death. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. And when I come to this table, when I take this, I'm saying I believe that. I'm saying I believe that. So please, ask yourself the question, do I believe that? Let's pray, Father. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in his presence. There's no magic to it in that sense of anything changing here other than for us to know by these elements that you've given to us to know that Jesus is present among us. That his atoning sacrifice is true and real in all who believe because you sent him because he really is God. He really is human. He really did take the sins of sinners upon himself and make propitiation for such sins and sinners. That all who trust, all who believe in him might have eternal life. So here we are. And here I pray who didn't enter this Sanctuary believing, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in such a way that they would know this truth. Any who were shaky about it, that you would solidify their faith. And any who knew that they knew that they knew it would simply rejoice and be glad. Please now be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll take...
the wafer that's in the top. If you'll take that. I simply say these words to you that Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. If you'll take the cup and open it. If I could say these words from Jesus. This is my blood shed for you. Let's drink together. Let's together pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus has given to us, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please receive this as God's benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good for doing his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And together let us sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and